This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, Episode 15. Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project Podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, here are the hosts of the Veterinary Project Podcast, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. All right, welcome back, everyone. Another amazing guest this week. But first, we have to follow up with Jonathan here. If you remember back, I don't know how many episodes ago it was, he had committed to uh, tightening up his eating. He wasn't going to eat bread. He wasn't going to have desserts. So let's check in. Jonathan, how's everything going? Well, first of all, I think there's way more interesting things to talk about than what Jonathan's been eating or not eating, but things are going well. Thanks for checking, Mike. I just got to keep you accountable. I got (laughs) to keep your feet to the fire here. No, we're 100%. I'd love to have a sandwich, but we're not going forward with that. And desserts-wise, after a meal, it's been really good. Yep. So we're still good. Halloween treats. Hey, I've had a few of those, but not directly after a meal as a dessert. So it's been nice. Nice. Hey, how was Halloween? Did you guys go trick-or-treating? We had a blast. Considering all things going on in the world right now, we went trick-or-treating. There were so many tables out and about, like in the neighborhood. Because it was so beautiful up here, it was probably 8, 10 degrees, so it's probably around 60 Fahrenheit. And, uh, yeah, everybody was just in a great spirit considering everything that's going on. Um, You know, we kept it short, hour, hour and a half. Kids have their treat bags. You know, now we're dealing with the repercussions of that when they want their treats at all times and trying to keep them away from each other. But no, it was a blast. How about you guys? Did you guys get out? Uh, we went for a walk. Riley's too young to uh, understand what's what's going on, but it was really cool. Lots of people had set up like different slides or shoots where the candy would come out. Uh, we saw some clotheslines with with the candy on the clothesline going out to the to the street for the people. So. Man, it was really cool to see like how innovative people got with handing out candy. So, totally agree. We had one guy that had a spider's uh, spider web, and then again clipped on different candy bags, so you could just go and pull it off. Great idea. And yeah, yeah. You know, we've been doing this now four years with the kids, and by far the best year, which was completely unexpected. And maybe that's part of it. COVID, we thought it would be pretty bland, not many people out, and it was the exact opposite, which was great. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to take Riley trick-or-treating. So anyway, we better get on with the show here. Uh, Before we dive into this week's guest, I'm going to fire it back to you, Jonathan, for our quick tip. All right. Our quick tip today, it's a simple one, but I think a pretty profound one. And and I am by no means 100% at it. And uh, it, it came forward from someone we were listening to, my wife and I, about the difference between have to and get to. So with our little one, he's in piano lessons now and he's in practice and our verbiage over the last couple of weeks has changed. Instead of having to practice, having to get him to practice, we're sharing with him that he gets to practice. He has an opportunity to learn. He gets to go to hockey practice. 
we get to go work out on a daily basis. And that change in frame of our question also then changes the framework by which we listen and learn and subconsciously to change that paradigm. So for my quick tip today is just look at those things that you're doing day to day and have to do as opposed to get to do. My quick tip for the day. I love that, Jonathan. That's a great reframe. Thanks for sharing that. No problem. Okay. Back okay. to you. Okay. Well, let's dive into this week's guest. Very excited to have with us Dr. Tanasia Crocker. You may know her uh, from her online presence as Dr. Crocker Pet Vet. Uh, Dr. Tanasia Crocker is a 2009 graduate from Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine. Upon graduation, she completed an equine-focused internship in Southern California. Then she worked as a solo equine ambulatory practitioner for three years before transitioning to small animal medicine. She currently practices in Grapevine, Texas at Northwest Animal Hospital and the Animal Emergency Hospital of North Texas. She is passionate about mentorship and empowering both veterinary students and young veterinarians to embrace the profession and find joy and success. In her free time, Dr. Crocker can be found spending time with her family and friends, riding horses, and enjoying the outdoors. And this was a fun conversation. I mean, we kind of went all over. We went down some tangents. Uh, we dove in talking kind of about the seasons of life and how things can change in your career and that shifting identity that veterinarians can feel. Uh, we then moved into talking about living intentionally, both in your personal life and in the clinic. Some really cool discussion around like tactical things that you can apply in the veterinary clinic you know, to like train your clients even and, and have that intentional practice. We talk a lot about support systems and mentorship, and then we finish off diving into various side hus hustles that Tanasia and her husband have on the go. Really fun conversation. So without any further ado, I give you Dr. Tanasia Crocker. All right, Tanasia, so good to have you on. Uh, Jonathan and I are, are pretty new to the, the veterinary social media space and Instagram world. And you were one of the first platforms that we kind of stumbled upon and started following. And right away, we were like, wow, we have to have her on. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I was excited because I saw what you guys were doing and that you were kind of newer to it. So you and I kind of connected and talked about goals because I think one of the best things about social media is it connects people and it kind of brings you together and especially if you have joint visions of kind of what you want to do uh, in the industry and then I love 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 the fact that you guys have actually been out in practice for a significant amount of time and you've kind of made some changes in your career along the way like I have and I think that's such a good thing to share with like students young grads which is a majority of what's on social media yeah we were we were just chatting about that like we all have 10 plus 11 plus years experience um so i mean it's amazing to have that perspective and then to see though like there's so much energy uh, i guess young blood or whatever we want to call it on social media it kind of like energizes us as well so it is i us old already yeah <laughs> we are old yes is that what you just said i think that's what he just called you tonight he did I, that's what i heard i like to say seasoned 
I'm a seasoned veterinary professional. So, but no, like it's a lot of work, like social media and maintaining accounts. And you know, this, like we talked about, I was like, you need to be doing this, this, and this. And you were like, I got to do all that stuff. But social media is, it's kind of another side hustle, another job, if you really want to do it and grow it. But every message I get from a student or a young grad, who's like, thank you for sharing. Like that was great to see somebody out in practice who's having that experience or how you dealt with it. That just like fuels my fire to keep doing it and keep engaging. Yeah. I'm laughing because I don't know what, what the uh, public perception of our platform is, but under the surface, Jonathan and I are paddling as hard as we can to like keep up and keep it going and keep episodes coming out. It is a, it is a massive amount of work. Yeah. It is, but it you're doing a really, good. yeah, you're doing a good job and you guys have had some really great content, I guess is what we call it in the social media world, but great information. Um, and I really, really wanted to come on because one, I wanted to let people know about you guys more and what you're trying to do and hopefully connect you with even more people who are passionate about this profession and want to move it in the positive direction. Well, yeah, we appreciate that. I mean, my opinion on it is the reason we have good content is just because we bring on great guests like yourself. So why don't we dive in uh, to you and tell our listeners maybe that haven't uh, stumbled upon your platforms, maybe a little bit about yourself, where you're from and kind of what's led you uh, to veterinary medicine and to this point in your career. I'd be happy to. So I am Dr. Tanasia Crocker and I'm a veterinarian. I have been practicing for 11 years. I went to Texas A&M and I graduated in 09 and I was a horse vet. I wanted to be a horse vet since I was five, went to school for it, had to apply twice to get in, but I finally got in and loved vet school, did the horse stuff all the way through and then graduated in an internship. I did Three years as an ambulatory only vet in a truck by myself, driving around all the time, 60, 80 hour weeks. And actually, I loved it, loved every second of it. But then I had a baby and I needed to adjust my schedule a little bit. And my boss wasn't willing to do that. So I had to make a change. And, you know, I think you have these moments in life where you can kind of go different directions based on the season of your life. And we kind of talked about that before. But I had to decide, do I stay where I am now and change maybe over to a completely different type of practice? Or do we move somewhere so I can keep doing horses? And ultimately, we decided to stay because family was here and that support system was huge to us. So, sorry, it's long. But I did a small animal relief, part-time work, and that kind of developed into ER relief. And I did part-time for a couple of years, and I was actually making more money working less days and less hours as I did as an equine vet. And then finally, I found a practice that I loved, and I have been at that practice for yeah, probably four years full-time, and I still do ER relief. And then I started kind of doing social media whole thing, I guess, about a year and a half ago. And it's been a really fun addition to all the other stuff that I enjoy doing and I'm passionate about. Wow. So lots there, a, a long career with lots of experience. I'm very curious. Uh, let's jump back to the time in your life when you were transitioning. So, and I've heard a little bit of your, of your story elsewhere. So growing up like strictly a horse, a horse girl, like in a horse community, I know you said like in vet school, that's what you focused on. You were never going to do small animal medicine. And then, you know, things start to change. Can you walk us through that experience? Cause I feel like a lot of vets eventually face this challenge. And I do think it's getting better. Like I think practices are adapting to 
working parents, I don't even want to say working moms because dads want to be engaged with their kids just as much as moms do. Um, but setting boundaries and, and changing, I think we're moving in a better direction, but I didn't do like one set of anal glands in vet school. I did like no small animal dentistry. I let everyone else take all the small animal cases. Cause I'm like, I'm never going to do that. Like you guys, you guys need the experience. I don't. And now every single day, like I'm working on small animals. So that just goes to show you learn everything you can in vet school. Like <laughs> you never know where you're going to end up. But I, it, it, it honestly was a physical almost breakdown that I had where I'm a worker and I go hard and I was literally shaking every time my phone would ring because I was on call or it was going to be the office needing to ask me something. And the ringtone alone was giving me an ulcer. I was losing weight. My husband started traveling more and I was taking a baby, waking her up and taking her out on a colic in the middle of nowhere. She's sleeping in my car. I'm trying to tube a horse. She's crying in the car. You know, the owner's looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm trying to help the horse and the stress level. And I'm not, I don't get easily stressed. Like I'm, I'm pretty cool under pressure, but the stress level just kept building. And I kept thinking, I'll just work harder. I'll just work harder. Like I, I can do it all. I'll just work harder. And it finally took my husband who knows me better than anyone in the world to say, you need to stop. Like, this is not okay. It's not healthy. Everything you're complaining about is not going to change unless you change like your situation. And I'm not scared to change. Like we buy and sell houses every two years. We move a lot. Like I'm very adaptable, but I always was going to be a horse vet. And the thought of not doing that felt like I had failed and it was such a letdown to myself, even though when I did it, I was really good at it, but it wasn't enough. Like I needed to keep going and like outwork everyone to the detriment of my own health and my own relationships and mental health and family life. So it was him saying, stop. And then it still took a good month or two of me saying, is he really like, is that real? Like at first someone tells you something, you know, you're like, I don't like that. Like I'm, I'm not giving up on the dream. And eventually I realized he was right. I made the change. And it honestly took about two, three years to really come to terms with it. Like I really did continue to feel like a failure. Like I, you know, didn't do what I set out to do. Um, and it was really hard. And I still get emotional about it because it, it was such a defining part of who I was. And I had to let that go. That it wasn't, I had to be an equine vet. It was, I'm Tanasia and that's who I am. And all this other stuff is just me using my gifts to help people. And it really didn't matter if it was with horses or small animals or even not practicing on them. I mean, Jonathan, you're in industry, like not working on animals, but you're still helping and using your gifts. So that's the short story version. Wow. Okay. I love this. There's going to be some good stuff here. So first off, I was laughing because the same experience, it's, it's kind of like Pavlov's dogs with with the on-call phone, the second it rings, that just feeling of like, oh no. So I totally relate. Um, like, I guess my my next question is, how long did did you experience that or sit in that situation of feeling, like you said, physically breaking down from when you sort of first recognized it until you decided to make a change? I think when I was pregnant, I kind of started to experience it because you know, you're pregnant and I'm still going and floating like 20 horses teeth in a hundred degree Texas weather and I could do it, but physically it probably wasn't the best decision for like me, right. And my baby. So I started to kind of feel, I guess that tug of war, um, with 
what I really should be doing and what I was doing. And then just the, as I got farther along and then when I came back and I only took eight weeks off um, and then went back pretty quickly and like put my baby in daycare. And so, and I was back to 60 hour weeks and um, it was just a lot. So it, it was probably only two months after she was born that I really started to realize it was going to be hard. And then like two months after I went back that I realized it wasn't changing. And, and I voiced, I always tell students this, like ask for what you want be upfront. I know people say like, don't, don't talk about wanting a family or wanting kids, but why do you want to work somewhere that doesn't want to support you like having kids and having a family? So I was very open about, I don't know that I can keep doing this and be 50% on call and do these hours and I might need to adjust my schedule. And I was open and honest and there was just no flexibility in return. So I felt good about the way I handled it, even though the outcome wasn't what I wanted. Um, but it was a couple months um, of you guys know it doesn't take long when you have a baby and it's not sleeping and you're working 68 hours to like break down that doesn't take yeah yeah and I mean I'm I'm just thinking of any listeners that may be in that spot right now and I know I I have been in that spot before and it's just not a fun place to be like when you're in that place where you're completely out of alignment um you you had kind of touched on like the shifting of your identity, you know, you can do it all. Um, but then it's like, you're not just Tanasia, the equine vet, you're Tanasia. And there's so much more to that. So, I mean, can you give us some insight there on maybe even like the internal thoughts or feelings you're having as that identity starts to shift? Cause I think that is really key for anyone in this situation to come to terms with. I think part of that and unpacking that is the fact that our profession kind of rewards or uh, likes to extol on the fact that you worked crazy hours and you, and there's even, I mean, a lot of the veterinary shows have people like going in and after hours or, you know, saving the animal for free and all these things that make you look like you're just so noble. But the consequence of that is your relationships in your family. And, you know, in vet school, it's who's going to work the hardest and stay the longest for their, you know, rotations and who's going to, you know, show up first. And I was that gunner, that person. So I was always rewarded for that behavior. Um, and our industry rewards people for that behavior. And I think that's a shift that needs to happen in general with realizing that's not sustainable and that's not healthy. Um, and, and I do think that's happening and changing, but sorry, <laughs> as a little bit of a tangent, but I do the identity part. It is, I don't know how to say this without offending anybody, but doing equine ambulatory work is maybe seen as a little more difficult than being in a hospital, a small animal hospital with all the tools available that you need and tons of assistance. So to me, it was a matter of pride, really, that I could go out in a truck and I could figure out how to get things done and I could, you know, help people and help their pets. And it was hard. And I physically could do it as like a smaller woman. And I would show up and people would question like, you're the doctor. Like my husband, and I would show up in an emergency together and people would walk up to him and be like, hey, doc, glad you made it. And he'd be like, that's the doctor over there. And I loved being able to step up and just like take charge and handle the situation. So it was a little bit of a pride thing, right? That I could do this thing that was considered really hard, but then I get in a small animal and I realize it's just as difficult and hard and challenging over there. It's just this perception. And so I had to, 
kind of come to terms with the fact that it's not what I'm doing and, and what I'm working on. It's still me being myself and working hard when I'm there, but learning how to turn it off when I'm not. And that that was still okay to like go home, not answer my phone, not be available 24 seven and put up boundaries. And I am a better veterinarian for it. Yeah, man. I love what you like. That's amazing. The part that you pointed out, like the skills and the behavior that get so many of us to the point of being a veterinarian are not the same skills that are going to allow us to have an 11 year career, a 30 year career, right? Like you have to pivot and change how you approach things. I'd never heard that before. That's amazing. Well, and I think, I don't know if you guys, but like veterinary schools are starting to address this a little bit more. Like in other countries, if you are on a rotation and you work so many hours, you actually are not allowed to come back to the school again for a certain amount of hours. Like you have to take a break. Um, And even like really large emergency groups will say the same thing. Like if your shift went over, you're supposed to come back in. They know that you're not working at your optimum ability and they don't want you to come back until you've rested. So I feel like that's starting to be understood more. And there are some schools that are really focusing on that and trying to promote, I guess, healthier habits. And that way, people stay in the profession longer because the amount of veterinarians that are unhappy and are leaving the profession completely, not even doing something different, but like just leaving and being like, I hated it and I'm done is really, really high. And that needs to change. That's and amazing. I jump in here for a second, yeah. like in that transition, because I completely agree with you. And this one hits a, a, a personal spot, both in my professional life right now and those personal is, did you use any tools, resources to both deal with the internal thought processes that were going through your head and, and the pride, the ego, the transition, as well as any outside resources. It's not that long ago that you've made this transition. It's a great question. So this is where I think mentorship is so important and having like that support system because I didn't really use any professional resources, but I used people in the industry that I knew cared about me, knew me, knew my heart as sounding boards. And, you know, my husband loves me, but he doesn't get it a hundred percent like get the passion and get the, like, he's always like, you don't, you love what you do. And most people don't love what they do. Like, that's a weird thing. That's not normal. And so I actually went to one of my first mentors, Dr. Noah Cohen, who I love. And I really talked to him about the struggle. And he's one of those guys, like I show up at A&M and he's like world renowned, so busy. And he'll be like, meet me for lunch or come to my office with a coffee. And he always has time for me. And it just through conversation, you know, I was like, I'm struggling with this. This is where I'm at. Um, I love equine medicine. I don't know what to do. And he looked at me and he just said, you have done such a good job. Like you've worked so hard. Like you proved yourself like, but he just said, do whatever you need to do for yourself and for your family. You do not need to prove yourself to anyone else. And he gave me kind of the freedom, this, this person I respected immensely, who was an equine vet and in the profession, he wasn't disappointed in me. He was saying like, you were right. Like I spend time with my family. That's my priority. And it's okay to say that what you're doing is not working for you and you need to change it. And so it almost just gave me that open the door and I could just walk through. Yeah. And finally breathe and like, okay, they're not going to be disappointed in me. They're not going to you know, question my decision. And everyone I've talked to has been so supportive and actually said, I've been there or I've struggled or I'm still struggling with it, or I made a change too. And it's still hard. And so I feel like we're all at that point at some point at some place in our career. So it was more the people around me, the support system, 
people I trusted that I used as a sounding board. And that's, that's important, right? Like we are such like, we're going to handle things and deal with them on our own. And to go and say, I'm struggling and this is what's wrong and really talk through what's really the problem and what can you change and what can't you change? That is powerful. And whether you do that with a professional or just someone you respect and a mentor, that is huge. Yeah. Well, that's, well, that's a share. Thank you. Yeah. Like you can, I can see it when you're telling the story and feel it like the, 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 the conversation, the thoughts, the feelings may be playing out internally aren't like, once you get that permission from someone that it's like, okay, to let that go, you know, I don't know why as veterinarians, like we struggle so much. We're so good at helping others, but we don't give ourselves permission to help ourselves, you know? And I don't have the answer to that. I would love, like, if you have any insights, I would love to hear. Like, Well, that's, I think why we're all doing this because our message ultimately in our story is we have been there and these are the things we've done, but these are the changes we made to put ourselves on a different path where we still are joyful and we feel successful and we feel like we've still utilized what we learned and we still feel like we are happy ultimately. And so I think sharing our message is, is really, really important because so many people feel stuck and basically we're giving them permission to unstick themselves or to ask for help or to put a hand out so someone can pull them out of the, the situation that they're in. If I may add to that as well, we sometimes when we leave vet school don't know what our true innate gifts are. We've gone down a path, we're following that path, and it's through that pivot to your example and what you're doing now that you're then using your innate gifts in a fuller, more full, joyful, that people see, resonate with, and it's a win for everybody. And that's 100%. Yeah. And it's authentic, right? Like, I think a lot of veterinarians are more creative than they give themselves credit for. And their science is part of that. But like, I talked to so many people, and they also like, paint or draw or write or do music or do something. And this is an outlet for kind of all that creativity that, you know, in vet school, you have to act a certain way and do things a certain way. And it's kind of like you're finally allowed to be who you want to be in the industry. And I feel like our industry is embracing that more and more. People are actually looking for practices that are different, that are niche, that are, you know, like a personality that works for theirs. And so I think it's kind of nice to have that freedom and to share that, hey, we've been out this long and look at where we're at and we're being ourselves and we're not a cog in the wheel. Like we are living our truth and being ourselves and putting ourselves out there and people like it. And that's important. And that's going to mean that we're going to have that much longer of a career, which is going to be more fulfilling and likely make more of a difference as to be stuck in, stuck in that cog. Yes. That is, it's obvious. Like watching your, your Instagram feed, like that's what drew us to you immediately is like you're 11 years out and it's you're not just paying lip service to it when you say you love what you do like you can tell it just comes through in your tone of voice and everything um i mean and that's amazing that you've been able to navigate that and like expand like you have it's it's awesome to see well, i mean those are fun and cool like i see stuff that i haven't seen and i've been out 11 years like it's just it's still exciting and you don't know what's going to happen. And I'm actually a horrible like Instagrammer because you're supposed to like plan ahead and like plan posts and stuff. And I literally will be like, well, this happened today. I'm going to share it. Like I really want it to be my reality and what I'm dealing with. 
um, because I don't want anybody to be like, you only post beautiful pictures of you with cute puppies. Um, that must be all you experience. So I can even share a story of a struggle, but hopefully the take home is this is how I dealt with it. And it was tough, but I'm moving forward and I've survived this five other times and I'll survive it this time. And so that's, that should be the take home message when you watch kind of what I'm sharing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm totally tangenting on this one because I think like you're, you're hitting on something that I believe in a ton and that is some influencers are, are going for follows like that, that number up in the top corner. And so whatever post they can, that looks good, that will get follows. That's what they want. Whereas some influencers are going for impact and they're going to like tell the truth and to improve people's lives. And that's what I feel when I see you is like, you are, you are having an impact. It is not fluff. I, I appreciate that. I, I, I go for comments. So I go for true engagement, right? Like you can like my picture, but not read everything I write. And a lot of times in there, I'll add like a question or a drop an emoji or something that's kind of a call to action. And if you actually comment, I know you actually read what I wrote and you didn't just like the cute picture. Um, and if I ask a question and you share your experience or you send me a message, like those are the people I follow back. Those are the people I engage with because they're engaging with me. Um, and I do, I do, I will put this out there. I do a scrub giveaway every thousand followers because guess what? I make money and I want to like support and give stuff away to other people. And I really, I'm at, I like to give gifts like that and I get followers that way too, but I don't do that to get followers. I do it to celebrate the fact that I'm engaging with more people. Um, and I, listen, I don't mind a side hustle. Like I appreciate people building a following and, and having things they promote, they believe in. And I think there's people doing that well that, you know, have a great following, share their truth, but they also make money off of it. And I, I'm fine with that. Like we in veterinary medicine, you make all the money you want to make, however you want to make it as vets, we are allowed to make as much money as we want to. But it's just and not mine. We should be sharing that more. I'm going to jump in for a second because vets are the worst in my experience for not being able to say exactly what you've just said or admit that and be proud of that. Yeah. No, I, I, I enjoy feeling valued for what I do. And part of that is getting paid well for what I do. And I do. I get paid very well for what I do. And my side things pay me. And I think that that's okay to say that my expertise and the time I spent in this field and what I do and work hard for is valuable financially. Um, now I'm bad about giving discounts and I had to have my finance husband sit me down and be like, okay, like, let's say you give $10 off on every appointment and let's multiply that by appointments and let multiply that by days and let's, and I'm like, holy cow, I give a lot of money away. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that I'm not a bleeding heart, you know, veterinarian some days, but it is okay to make money and be successful financially in this industry. 120%. Yeah, I agree. That's a very important message. And we're going to, I'm excited to dive in. We'll come back to your side hustles. Cause I know you and your husband uh, get up to a lot of things on your social media. I heard, I can't remember where I heard it, but you were a guest on another podcast and you were talking about your philosophy of like what got you started. And I just loved it. And you said something to the effect of you were just putting yourself out there and you're open to whatever opportunities come. And I just had to point that out. Cause I think sometimes as vets, you know, going back to vet school, we get 
too linear thinking where it's like, we have to be able to see like, where's the end goal. So I love that you just stepped into it and you're like, wherever this goes, that's where it's going. I'm just trying to like get my message out and have an impact. Yeah, literally I was in all these Facebook groups and it was negativity, negativity, negativity. And I'm sitting there saying, that is not my experience. That's not my experience. That's not And so I had to find a platform where I could share my experience. And I don't feel like I'm just lucky. Like I've made very conscious decisions to get where I am. And that's my story, right? But through it, and I've always been the kind of person to be, I guess, like open opportunity, but there's a world of opportunity out there in veterinary medicine, whether you're on social media or not. And just by saying, this is what I'm trying to do. And this is the direction I'm trying to move the profession in. Like we've really done that. Um, and it's been awesome. And I, I think this might come out before it happens. Like I'm getting to do a DBM 360 mom panel to talk about parenting during the pandemic. And I'm really excited about that just to share because one of the top questions I get is how do you balance it all? How do you be a mom and a working veterinarian? So I never, ever, ever would have been able to do that if I hadn't engaged on social media. Um, and so I think there's a lot of cool things out there and I answer every message, every email I can and really try to um, fit as much as I can into what is going on in my life while still prioritizing, obviously, family, kids, all the other things that you need to be healthy. So I do want to touch on that maybe even tactically because you have a lot going on. and so. You know, like you are living very, excuse me, very intentionally. And uh, like, how do you do that? How do you fit it all in? How do you have that like awareness to like be in control and craft like your destiny? Like you said, I didn't get lucky. And I agree with you. You didn't. You you planned this and you went after it. I always knew I needed to be working and sharing and helping to be happy but I also wanted to be successful. And so it was kind of like you said, looking at what other gifts I have and what other things I could offer. And I found that I'm really good at networking. I'm really good at marketing. I'm good at um, putting stuff out that people like want to know about and, and education. So I kind of have that with clients and things that I do at work. That's a big part of what I do. Um, but I think what you have to do is you literally have to sit. And I did this before I even started my social media account. And I said, what are the top goals that I have? And I mean, it was, it's basic, like spread positivity, connect with others um, and mentor young grads and new veterinarians. And if something doesn't fit in that three like goals, I, I say no, because I will be too busy. Right. But if something fits in there, um, I'm all about it. And I try to pursue it as hard as I can. And it has really snowballed. I mean, like there, I, there's even stuff I'm saying no to because I just don't have time to do it or I'm booking stuff out really far in advance. And I love that. Um, but you know, the thing I still love the most is doing webinars with vet students and talking to them and just engaging with them. And I always stay on afterwards for 15 minutes and we chat even more. And that's when like the really good stuff comes out and they get to ask questions. So I think the pandemic has opened the door more to like connect and engage with people because everyone's doing everything online. And I can do a lot more talks and things online right now than I could have if I was traveling and trying to be a working veterinarian. But to answer your question, very intentional. You have to write down your goals and anything that doesn't fit in that, you really have to assess if it's worth it. The other thing is support system. 
I do nothing without my support system. My husband is number one cheerleader. I will tell him like, I'm going to do this. And he's like, I think you can. And I think you should. I mean, that's literally the thing that he says. Um, and if he knows I have a goal, he's constantly saying, you know, what are you working on next? What do you need to be doing and, and helping me? He, have you guys read the, is it the four hour work week or the five hour work week? Okay. So there's my, my major mentor in life, even though I've never met him. I love it. So he's all about like making yourself kind of an expert in one area, really focusing on it and working smarter, not harder and really capitalizing on that. And I think that's being very intentional um, while still helping people and using my gifts. So does that answer the question? Good enough. Oh yeah. I mean, I think the one thing, like there's so much there, but one thing that really jumps out is the power of saying no. Like you clearly have your swim lanes defined. And if it's not inside of those, the answer is no. Right. I yes. think that's so powerful. Um, well, that's boundaries in general, like in life and in veterinary medicine. Like I'm sure you guys, and it takes time when you get out of school, you want to say yes to everybody and everything. And I actually got burned pretty good. You know, like I had an equine client that I kept telling her, you need to take that rotten tooth out. We're flushing the sinus. It's infected. The horse was a jerk. I went out every Sunday. I never charged her like extra for it, helped her out. And then she eventually goes to the specialist and she tells the specialist, well, I never realized I should have taken the rotten tooth out. And I'm like, I literally wanted to bang my head against the wall. So you eventually learn like what you need to do and not do and mentally what your boundaries need to be. Cause that one, I, I like wanted to call her and call her out. And obviously that's not professional. So but those things kind of teach you and train you to be very, very smart about what you do say yes to and what you say no to. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and when I'm, when I'm looking at you, like it's awesome hearing your story and like you've, you've clearly had amazing mentors in your life. You have an amazing support system, but you're also an amazing mentor to people online. And I, I've heard you talk a lot about like meaningful mentorship so I guess I have a few questions on that. Like being out 11 years, who are some of your mentors? Like as you keep progressing your career and then what does sort of meaningful mentorship look like to maybe a newer grad? So I certainly, I have a couple of equine vets who are kind of just always people in my corner that I can talk to. Um, and then my boss who is actually retiring soon, um, he is, a huge mentor to me. When I started small animal medicine, he basically hired me. He, I was his miniature donkey vet and he had this small animal practice. And he kept saying, when you want to leave equine medicine, call me when you want to leave. And I'm like, I'm never leaving equine medicine. Well, eventually I called him and I'm like, are you serious? And he got me set up with all my relief, all my stuff. And he just kept saying, you can communicate. I can teach you like small animal medicine. Like I am not worried about your skill set. So he, he kind of really exposed me to, it's not really your surgical skills and your medical skills. It's your communication that makes you a successful veterinarian or not. And all your I kind of soft skills, I guess. Um, and then he also, and this is my favorite thing he's ever taught me. And I try to teach everyone this. He's like, we, we believe we can train animals. Why don't we think we can train clients? Like he is huge on from that first appointment you are training clients. We want you to bring a fecal sample. We're going to want blood work at the annual wellnesses. When we do your spay and neuter, we're going to do a catheter. We're going to do pre lab work. This is why these things are important to us. Like this is our standard. This is the way we practice. If it doesn't work for you, 
that is totally fine. You are not the client for us. But if it works for you, we're here for you and we're going to be here for you for the next 15 years of your pet's life. And we have clients that have been coming and bringing new pets and it works for them. So no matter what type of practice you're in, setting up expectations and boundaries early on is important. And training your clients is, I think, a huge, huge key to happiness in this career. Um, So he's been instrumental in me learning how to navigate the small animal world, um, but also, again, feeling valued and paid well for my time and my services because he charges appropriately for our time because he thinks it's worth something. So those are some of my biggest ones. Now, online, Dr. Gary Marshall, if you don't follow him, it might get weird. He has a cat hospital in Washington. He is the nicest, most amazing man. He will text message you if you're having a bad day and he has been in practice forever, owned his own practice. Um, and he's a, he's just someone that has taught me that it's okay to be vulnerable. Um, even when you've been in this job a long time and, and he still loves it after a lot of years. Um, so he's someone I really, really, really look up to. And I don't even know if he would say he's my mentor, but I say he's my mentor. So <laughs> it counts. <laughs> I like it. I saw Johnny was doing a silent clap there when you were talking about training the clients. What do you What are you oh, going to add in there? I was just gold right there, just gold. That's all I got to add. If we did more of that, I, again, local practice here in town, they charge the most out of anybody. They are not afraid of doing that, and the service that they provide for their clients is unbelievable. And the clients that want to be there, I've located with them multiple times. Clients love it. They get the value. And the clients that don't want to be there, they are totally all right with that. There's a clinic down the street that still does great service. Go there, have a great time. And I absolutely love that. Yeah, I mean, it's not every practice is for everybody. And the practices that are scared, or even to fire toxic clients, like we honestly have fired a ton of clients during the pandemic because of the way they've treated our staff or the way they've acted with everything. And we're like, listen, we're in a pandemic. Like we don't need you acting a fool on top of everything we're dealing with. And so um, I love that I don't have to go to my boss and say, can I fire this person? If someone is disrespectful or inappropriate or abusive, that's it. They're done. I have the right to say that to them at that moment. So empowering your veterinarians and your staff to feel protected um, is really, really important, I think. So I could go on and on about all these things. So I will stop. This is important stuff. We're going down a different tangent, but this is really key when you're in practice. These are the little things that make a difference to joyful work, to feeling fulfilled, to wanting to stay versus searching for other opportunities. These are key pieces. And, and the crazy thing is I tell people this, like I tell people you have to be scheduled. You can't walk in at my practice. Like you have to call if you're coming. Tell me anyone who doesn't have a cell phone and can't make a phone call and say, my pet's sick, can I come in? Like, we'll fit you in if we can, but if it's five o'clock and we close at six o'clock and your dog's been vomiting diarrhea for six days, you are going to the emergency clinic. Like that is not my fault that you waited six days and five o'clock. And our clients are trained on that. Our clients don't get angry at us when we send them to the emergency clinic because they know that's where they'll get the best care. And they know that we're not going to be there past six o'clock. So we're not hospitalizing their dog at 6.05. And some people might say we're harsh and like we won't, but there's other clinics that are willing to stay late. There's other clinics that'll keep their staff late or won't get their staff lunch or won't schedule appropriately. That's not us. And we're still, again, financially successful um, and have clients who 
absolutely adore us. Um, so I think that you can do those things. And if you look at any other industry, you have to schedule appointments. You have to call beforehand. Like I just had a doctor's appointment today. They were way more strict than we have ever been about everything. So why do we not think that people can handle that or can deal with that as pet owners? Like it's just mind We've allowed it to happen for decades. You don't go to a lawyer's. You don't go to a dentist just off the cuff. You wouldn't even think about doing that. But because it's been allowed to be done in the veterinary industry for as long as it has, it's going to take this generation to transition in order to allow this new scheduling and this new work-life balance to actually be able to take place. And it's really tough. It's even it is. I'm, I'm finding, yeah, it's tough. And, that, and students are like, wait, what? Like, I give a talk and they're, wait, can you show me your schedule again? Like, wait, you pick your kid up three days a week? You you get a two-hour lunch during your full days? You leave at five o'clock? Like, they are just mind blown because the only thing they've been exposed to are these practices that just are like, we got to see as many people as possible because they don't charge enough. So they have to see quantity over quality and they just don't get it. And guess what? If you were that booked up, raise your prices. Like, I don't know how to make it more obvious. And so I like talking to students because I like sharing those things. And my favorite thing to do is just talk about my career and my jobs and show them that these types of practices are out there and have them extern with us and have them see how we do it. Because hopefully, like you said, they're going to go back and they're going to want those type of practices or to join a practice and make changes. And yeah, I, again, I'll just keep going. It's tangent time. I love this. I love when it goes like that. Um, like listening to it, of all the things you said, the, the other part is you have staff like yourself that are happy, you know, beyond just being financially successful, beyond having clients that love coming to your clinic you are happy. And I mean, that is so important. Like it's, that's proof that it works. And I will I, like, let's be real. Cause I like to be honest. The pandemic has made it tough, like curbside for months. Like my staff has struggled and I get that. And we've all really struggled. We've been busier than ever and think everything's just harder and people are harder to communicate with. And so I think this year, has been tough on everybody. And I wouldn't say all my staff is happy every day, but we're all there and we buy into what my practice is trying to do. And we buy into our practice family and us as a team and, and getting through this together. And so um, I think that is what matters the most. Absolutely. Great reality check. And it's not looking like it's going to get better anytime soon. So we need to continue to be positive and work on those different opportunities to keep people as level as possible. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We kind of got a bit carried away there, but I do want to give us some time. I want to jump into your side hustles because I'm so curious. Um, cause I mean, you have so much veterinary stuff going on. I want to hear about what is going on in your life with you and your husband when you're not at the vet clinic. So we, we talked about this before because you guys are interested in this too, but um, we consider real estate a great investment and we like to flip houses. Um, and it's really fun because he's like a finance guy and he does the numbers and the spreadsheets. And then I just get to go shopping and pick out, you know, like fun stuff for the house on budget. Um, we're both actually super tight with money. So we love to find a good deal and a good flooring deal. Um, and so we've done a couple flip houses over the years and we really enjoy that. We buy houses and fix them up sometimes and live in them and then sell them like two, three years later. Um, but we are currently 
building our dream house. So I'm excited to be in one spot for a while. Um, and it's close to my family. So that'll be, that'll be fun. But yeah, that's our biggest side hustle. And then we do a lot of investing. So our family, we have a family investment group. We look for like medical investments and things that we want to be engaged with. Um, and so we like to, I guess, have our money working. It's like what we say and not just sitting there. Um, but it's nice to have somebody who like financially is also driven and, um, wants to do more, um, and really for our children, like have a good future for them. Um, but you know, saying that he is an entrepreneur now and he, he was in corporate America when I was like in vet school and after school and he was making a ton of money, but traveling all the time. And he absolutely hated it, but he did it to support me and my early career. And now it's really cool because things have kind of flipped and he's now been able to be an entrepreneur and buy businesses and not make as much. Um, and I've been able to like support us and our family um, for a couple of years now. And he can kind of pursue his dream and, and do things and continue to, you know, build assets and things like that. So I think that's just another take home message. You know, you both have to be on the same page, but I also think it's nice to know that the support's going to be different in the different seasons of life with what your staff, what your what your staff member, what your spouse is trying to do or your partner's trying to do with their careers and, and where they're trying to go. Um, and, and that's really, really important to be able to adjust what you're doing to support them the way that they support you. Yeah. And that's another reason why I think I'm happy, successful because my home life, like if I talk to a lot of veterinarians that are unhappy, once we start really digging deep, there's a partner at home who's like, why are you staying late? Or why are you upset about your day? Like all you did is play with puppies and kitties. Like they're just not supportive. And that can really break you down when you don't have that outside of your job and outside of veterinary medicine. Yeah. And I love the piece, like how you guys are, are playing off each other, supporting each other and how that like smart financial decisions are giving you like the flexibility to earn money how you want to. Like you said, it's not about earning as much as possible. It's how you earn it. And earlier you had said, I th veterinarians are more creative than we probably give credit for. And I, I don't know about you, but for me personally, when you get that financial piece taken care of, your creativity can just explode because you remove that financial burden and financial stress. And I mean, things just get so much more fun. 100%. And I also think though, the online world, while it's scary, like we talked about the movie, <laughs> The Social Dilemma, but while it has downfalls and can be really negative, it also really right now can give you an opportunity to explore different paths and different things and connect in a way that I don't think you would have been able to do years ago. I mean, now if you are a creative, you can set up a shop on Etsy and you can do stuff in your free time and you can sell stuff on Etsy and like it costs you nothing, right? I mean, you can connect and say, I want to write articles and connect with the big veterinary publications and, and do that and get paid for it. So there's, there's a lot of opportunities out there to make more money um, and kind of use your passion and your tools and have it working for you and not have to have like a huge financial nest egg to get it started. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, in speaking with uh, students and those that are early in your career, are you getting a sense that more people are being open to this and wanting to go down those paths of side hustles or other ways to be financially free? Yes. So no, <laughs> 100%. One of my number one requests to talks right now is on my ER relief work. 
because the concept of doing relief with an ER job is just like not as common as just regular relief. And a lot of students are interested in ER, but they're scared of doing it right out of school. And they really want to know, like, can I do this? And so I talk a lot about the financial implications of that, like how much I get paid a shift, how many shifts I pick up a month, um, certain months I pick up more. And it's like, I'm going to just pay for that vacation we have going. Up. And it's, we, we joke now and we say, well, how many ER shifts is that? Like when we're going to make a financial decision, but it's really nice to have that, like, little extra pool, right, that I can pull from. And because I've been doing ER at the same place for eight years, I mean, I can work as much as I want. Like, I, they give me first choice on shifts. So my shifts don't even, they're not crazy hours. And I'm always with other veterinarians and I'm supported and I feel really comfortable doing it. But that is a huge thing I kind of talk to students about is looking for other opportunities around you where you can make money in your free time some people require more downtime where they're not doing something veterinary associated, which I totally get. But man, if you had two days a month that you wanted to work and you made an extra $1,500 a month, like that's your rent. That's, you know what I mean? So it's that balance. Like how quickly do you want to get out of debt or want to take that vacation or want to buy that whatever? And, and that's where you got to figure out what works for you and, and go with it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That gets so powerful. You know, you earn a little bit with a side hustle and then you put that money to work uh, and it can change your life in a really short period of time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're running a little bit over, so we better, better pivot here and get into our impact round. Uh, so series of questions for you. Are you a cat or a dog person? This is a tough one for me. So I'm a large dog person. Does that make sense? But I have the best cat in the world and he's amazing and he's a cat dog. So he acts like a dog, but he's a cat. If that makes sense. Like he's not a needy cat. He's like a cool cat. I have a sticker, like the stickers I made that say black cats rule, like inspired by him. I'm obsessed with him. If you are on my Instagram, you'll see Mr. Bobby everywhere. He's my kid's best friend. He like carries him around under his arm. So I would have to say I'm a large dog person, but I love my cat and I'm obsessed with him. It's so neat when you get a cat that has that just amazing personality. It's so fun. Yes. Yes. Uh, I know the answer to this, but true or false, I wanted to be a veterinarian since I was a kid. True. But, okay, so um, you might have heard this story on another podcast. My dad, I actually wanted to be a horse trainer because I loved horses. And my dad was like, I mean, you could, but, like, you kind of like science and, like, wouldn't it be cool to be a doctor and, like, your body wouldn't get broken down and you'd make more money. And he, like, slowly kind of got me thinking. And he had, like, our vet come out and I'd, like, work with him. And it was, like, a female equine vet. And he very easily, like, shifted me into, like, horse vet mode. So thank you, Dad, for having me switch paths. <laughs> How would your friends describe what you do for a living? That's a hard one. So I think some of my friends are clients. Um, I think they would describe it as a tough job, honestly, because I'm very open about the struggles with euthanasia and difficult clients and things like that. And I think a lot of people can't handle that stuff. And so um, I have friends that think what I do is cool, but they're like, I could never do it because it's really hard. Because um, it is some days. It's really hard. What is your favorite hobby? Horseback riding. I just don't have enough time to do it. 
what in this world are you most grateful for? Definitely my family. And that would be my immediate family and my like surrounding family. Um, like I live next door to my mom right now and my sister's around the corner and our kids have been like raised together and we just have this really great dynamic where everyone helps each other out and we always have somebody we can call and our kids are like brothers and sisters to each other. And based on how my sister and I were in high school together, I never would have imagined that. Um, but now we're best friends and it's really fun to see our kids basically be best friends too. That's awesome. Okay. Tanasia, thank you so much. I mean, this has been great. As you can tell, um, you're so easy to talk to and so much that we can discuss. Uh, so thank you so much for your time for anyone uh, listening. If they want to get a hold of you, I know you're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you have a website. Um, where would you like them to reach out or where would you like to direct them to? So Instagram's a great place. If you want to follow me, obviously I would appreciate that at doctor.tanasia.crocker, but you can kind of find everything that I'm involved in and you can connect with me the easiest through my website. And that's just www.drcrockerpetvet.com. And you can email me through there. Um, Instagram messages are hard to follow sometimes. So emailing is really the best way to connect with me. And I love getting emails. I love questions. I love people just sharing their stories. Like that just fuels me even more and gives me more that I can share with students in the next generation, which is amazing. Yeah. And you have recently uh, put together or, or co-put together a career guide. Yeah. So uh, Snout School, uh, Danielle Snout, she reached out and uh, we kind of talked about some different things and we're both really passionate about veterinary students. And a lot of questions we get is about careers careers, and the different things I've done. So we actually did a really fun career guide and it's a PDF and you can work through it. There's like Cosmo type quizzes, like what type of person are you? And there's a flow chart and you can go and say, this is the type of money I want to make. This is where I want to live. Like this is the type of family situation I want to have and what type of veterinary you should consider. And then I have um, fun stories in there from each type of practice I've done. So it's a veterinary career guide and it's on snoutschool.com. Um, and it's also linked through my website. And I think if you use Dr. Crocker 30, you get 30% off on it too. So that should still be an option for the rest of the year. Um, if anyone wants to go check it out. Nice. I was, I was recently on your website and yeah, it does come up as a uh, pop-up. Yes. That's whisker cloud. They're legit. If you need a website, check them out. Okay. Well, as we wrap up, anything uh, you want to add in here, Jonathan? No, I just think this was a fantastic conversation. There's a few more areas that we definitely need to dive into. Yeah, we're doing a part two. Like it's happening. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Sounds <laughs> good. Now I don't even have to ask. Yes, you've yeah. already committed. Look at that. I'm very okay. comfortable. <laughs> well, as we wrap up part one, uh, as always, the final word goes to you. Uh, what message would you like to leave? For the veterinary community? I would like the veterinary community to know that there are people out there like me and like you guys who care and we want to connect and we want to help and you should find somebody to reach out to if you're really struggling and you can find joy in this profession. You just have to be intentional and make the right choices. Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. 
If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing, as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to theveterinaryprojectpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group general feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.